0: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. My name is Robin Maggio, representing the National Resource Center on ADHD, and I'd like to welcome you to our webcast Helping Your Child Successfully Handle Change with our guest expert, Dr. Jeffrey Katz. The National Resource Center on ADHD is a partnership between CHAD and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that serves as the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence based information on ADHD. If you're looking for further information and resources about today's topic, or ADHD in general, we have health information specialists available Monday through Friday between 1 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can reach them at 1-800-233-4050. It is a pleasure to introduce today's guest expert, Dr. Jeffrey Katz. Dr. Katz is a child adolescent, an adult psychologist, and leading expert in the field of ADHD, learning disabilities, and behavioral problems. He's been in practice in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area for more than 25 years and is highly involved in the ADHD community. He serves on the National Board of Directors of CHAD as chair of the Public Policy Committee. He also sits on the Editorial Advisory Board of the Journal of Attention Disorders, reviewing research that has been submitted for publications. Once again, we are pleased to welcome this afternoon's guest expert, Dr. Jeffrey Katz.
1: Hello, everyone. So let me start with our uh, outline for today. So these are the kinds of topics I I want to make sure that we cover. How do people experience change? What are the genetic uh, factors? that have to do with handling change. Executive cognitive function, which you probably heard a lot about in relationship to ADHD. Then to talk about some practical advice for helping children with change, such as schedules and routines, dealing with tasks, changes in tasks. And then we'll talk a little bit about troubleshooting when things don't work right. Then of course, we'll have time for questions and answers. So, um, Change is often stressful. Uh, Any kind of change, um, you can be the most normal, average person, but when there's change, things are different. You have to adapt to it. You uh, have to do things different than you had done before. Maybe you had to work out the way to do things. It's not the same now. So change itself is stressful, and that doesn't necessarily make it bad. I mean, change is a part of life. Uh, You have to experience it. In fact, uh, learning to successfully adapt to change is, it is an important life skill, and when people experience change, they learn from it. They um, can handle other situations better. They get experienced with dealing uh, with different kinds of changes or different kinds of people or different situations they 're in so Although change can be stressful, it really is a, a is a part of things. however. It's different for some people also. Um, One thing that we know is that temperament is uh, fairly genetic. Uh, In in other words, it's inborn. Uh, Some babies or some children, people are slow to warm up. They tend to be on the quieter side. Um, Some people, their temperament is more uh, easygoing. They're more out there. So there's different kinds of temperament that people have. Um, some children also have ADHD. Now, of course, that ADHD can be on top of the slow-to-warm-up child or the uh, easygoing or uh, more out-there child. And ADHD may affect them in different ways, but uh, ADHD is certainly something that is going to have a an effect on how someone handles change. The slow-to-warm-up kids, uh, if a change happens, you know maybe they'll sit back and watch for a little while and then kind of see how they're going to get involved in a situation or with new people. Other kids just jump right into it, and other kids jump into it without even thinking about uh, how the situation has changed. and That may you or know, may not work. But there are different ways that people do it, and people with ADD uh, certainly uh, affects them too. So when it comes to ADD kids, <clears throat> um, imagine that you've heard about executive cognitive function. Uh, this is the relatively recent understanding, really, of the issues that happen with ADHD. Um, yes, kids with ADHD may be impulsive or inattentive right. or distractible, but understanding it from the view of executive functioning is uh, a much more richer understanding of ADHD. Now, there are many different conceptualizations of executive cognitive function. Uh, This is Russell Barclay's deficits in executive functioning scale. And um, he has his way of looking at it, and I'm shuffling the paper over here, but yeah, I don't see it, that's okay. Um, He has his way of looking at it, uh, then we have here the comprehensive executive function inventory, which is the conceptualization of <clears throat> excuse me Samuel Goldstein and Jack Nagliari. And this scale recently came out in the last few years. <clears throat> Another scale is by um, I get the name, but it's the behavior rating inventory of executive function, which is often used a lot also um, in understanding an executive function. So, um, and here's another one. This one is by Tom Brown at Yale University, and this is his conceptualization. And so you can see there's the, uh, under number one activation, is the organizing, prioritizing, and activating, the getting ready to work. And this focusing, sustaining, and shifting attention to task. There's effort which is regulating your alertness, sustaining effort, and processing speed. Emotional components, like managing frustration and modulating or regulating your emotions. Memory, which is using your working memory, the uh, where you can get things up in your head and think about it and manipulate it in your head and figure things out. And uh, accessing recall, remembering, oh, how did this work the last time it happened? And then the action part is monitoring and self-regulating your action. The monitoring, kind of keep being able to keep an eye on what you're doing, or you have being successful or not, and as things come up, you adjust yourself um, as necessary. Uh, now, here's another conceptualization. This is, of course, the engineering flowchart. Does it move? No. Should it? If it uh, shouldn't move, no problem. Uh, If it needs to move, you need that WD-40. If it does move, yes. Uh, And if you want it to move, that's good. If you don't move, then you go back to duct tape and you hold it on down. I also want to look a little bit more closely then at the uh, conceptualization by Jack Maglieri and Tim Goldstein. And one thing I want to say is although we talk about it, each of these uh, researchers talk about it as have separate things like emotion regulation or flexibility or self-monitoring. First of all, everybody's really looking at the same thing. And they break it down slightly differently, but it's, it's all the same understanding. And secondly, it's not like it's only emotion regulation and then we look at self-monitoring. In actuality, all of these things are going on at one time. Now, sometimes whatever that task is or what's going on may require more of this or more of that, but we talk about them as discrete functions, but they're not. It's executive function. It's how it all works together. So that's, that's, I think, an important thing to to remember. Um, It's useful to think about it as separate things as you're trying to understand it, but don't forget that when you're talking about a person or your child, this stuff, all of this stuff is going on all the time or not going on maybe as well as you would hope. So you can see here um, from Jack Magliari and Sam Goldstein, they talk about emotional regulation, uh, control and management of emotion. So can somebody stay calm they the handling problem? Do they react with the right level of emotion, right? So sometimes it's good to be a little bit more... Um, strong in your emotion, but what's the right level at the right time? Flexibility is being able to adjust behavior to meet the circumstances, right? So um, if you always meet a certain problem and you uh, approach it the same way each time and then something else changes, Are you going to be able to catch that there was a change and do something different. It has a lot to do with solving problems. Um, If your first approach to it isn't working, can you think about how maybe to change it? Can you think about other approaches that you can use? Self-monitoring is the ability to evaluate one's own behavior in order to determine a different approach if necessary. You have to be able to... Keep tabs and and have that uh, picture of yourself and where you're getting with it. Can you tell when the task is completed? Or do you drop off before you're supposed to? Um, Planning. So planning is thinking about what you need to do and how to get it done. And it's the thinking ahead part that's very important. What strategies can you use? How are you going to deal with different things that come up? Attention. Um, Can you avoid being distracted by things that uh, have nothing to do with the task? You know, like the squirrel out there. Maybe you're distracted by uh, you're involved in a task and there's a little issue about this, but is that the main thing that you really need to pay attention to? Or is it really the main part of the task that you have to go for? Can you concentrate on the task? Can you keep your attention on it? Of course, that's a big issue for people with ADD, is that persistence of effort. Then you see here inhibitory control. Can you control your behavior or impulses? Can you think about the consequences of what you're going to do before you do it? Can you think about the consequences before acting? Can you maintain self-control as opposed to letting emotions take control of you, it also has to do with keeping commitments. If you have a commitment to do something and then something else pops up, can you stick it with what that commitment is? Um, also, very important. Another one is initiation, and that's getting started. How, did, how does one get started on tasks or projects on the road? Can you start tasks easily, or is it hard to get into it? It's about being motivated. Are you motivated to begin a task? And that's a very big issue, of course, as all these things are for people with ADD. And can you take the initiative when you need to? If you're doing a task or project, or you're following the schedule, and can you on your own decide, well, you know what, I think this is something that needs to get taken care of. This is something I need to do uh, to get this Uh, plan into action to get ready to talk to the people I need to talk to to follow up with it. Organizations, the next one. Can you manage your own things, keep things organized? Can you deal with multiple tasks? Can you organize the tasks? Can your thoughts well? Um, You want to be able to manage your time effectively and work neatly. (coughs) Excuse me. so, the organization, keeping it all together. And then you can see here the working memory, the last one that Magalier uh, and Goldstein talked about, is the ability to keep that information in mind and to manipulate it. It's very important to be able to keep things in mind, to know what you need to do and how to do it. Uh, you need to remember important things, instructions, steps, things change, you think about it in your head differently that this is now what I'm going to need to do. So um, it's very important, of course, the working memory, because what happens uh, if it doesn't work? Oh crap! Was that today? That's what happened to the dinosaurs. So what do we know about kids and change? Well, we know that kids with ADHD actually change very quickly, but they have trouble with change. They can go from one thing to the next. You know, in my office, kids can go from one toy to the next, to the next, to the next. Uh, parents always are upset about, oh, he's going to? You know, I'll help you clean up the office. You know, and I know where everything goes. This is okay. The kids with ADHD can change very quickly, but they have trouble with change. And the paradox is that for kids with ADHD, when we impose the change when we put it on them, that's where they have trouble. If it's just left up to them, they'll, they'll do whatever they do and you know, not the, an attentional problem because they can pay attention to uh, games, video games or TV or whatever they're really interested in, whatever draws their attention, they can pay really good attention to it. The problem is when we want them now to do something different. That's the paradox for kids with uh, ADHD. So how do we make that change easy for them, and what's part of that problem for kids with ADD? Well, part of that big problem for kids with ADHD is that they struggle themselves to create structure. They need structure to be able to function, but they themselves, because of these problems with the objective cognitive function, they struggle with it so much. They may not know what, how to uh, handle a change that happens to, to them. They may not know how to adapt to it. Um, and they're not thinking about it. Um, so it takes a very thoughtful approach. And it's just like being a parent, like a you know, kid with ADHD. You could be the best parent in the whole wide world. But if you don't understand ADHD or if you have a kid with ADHD, it, it's really not the same. You have to think about what you're going to do with that child. How are you going to handle different situations that come up? You, as a parent, have to put the thought into it. Um, And as Rudy Rodriguez says, a coach in North Carolina, it's like getting ready to get ready. It's not just, oh, let's get ready to go to the beach. It's we have to get ready. What do we have to do get ready to get ready to go to the beach if we really want to get out the door? So what are some things you can do to prepare your child for change? Well, uh, one of the best ones is to tell them what to expect and why it's happening. Um, You want to um, give them time to accept the change, to be ready for it. You want to talk about it. This is what's going to happen. Do you have any concerns about this? You may even prompt them with some of those concerns that you think they might have. Uh, And you want to respond to that. This is is how it can work. You also want to discuss their expectations. Are they realistic? If we do it this way, does that really mean that there won't be any time at all to play games tonight, or or will there be? Uh, Also, the unrealistic expectations. Uh, We'll we'll never be able to do this or that, the things that I wanted to do. Um, And we know um, that... uh, There we go. Uh, structure and routine is very important. And in fact, the more structure and routine that you put into the day, the more the child can do without having to think about it. It makes me think about uh, something I understand about President Obama, is he always wears either blue or black, you know, suits. And he, he said in an interview, the reason why is he's got so many things that are important for him to be thinking about, he doesn't want to think about what he wears. He's just going to keep it to blue or black, he knows what he's going to wear. Not a decision he has to make. Um, so the more we can put that structure and routine in place, the child doesn't have to worry about that. Um, and having daily routines help children to feel less stressed. Now, it would be great if they could do what they wanted all day long and not have to worry about anybody else, but it really doesn't work that way. So uh, having a daily routine uh, about how things are going to happen does help the kid in the long run plan and know what they're going to do. And in fact, even over the summer, parents will often uh, you know, talk about, oh, you know, I'm not going to plan anything over the summer. You know, the kid had a, a tough time in school. That usually doesn't work for a kid who's ADHD because there's, go- there's going to be conflict. But I talk to the parents, e- even if you don't have any plans for the summer, you could have a daily routine where you have what time we get up, what time is lunch, is there quiet time after lunch? When is free time? When do you go out? You can go out and play with your friends. You know, uh, what time is there check-in or rest or snack in the afternoon? What time is dinner what time is bedtime? At least having that kind of routine and structure is good for the kid because then you can start adding in things that come up. Or part of that, too, is uh, over the summer, simply in the summer, uh, kids will come in and they are all the time bored, 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 bored. Now, they may have some ideas of things they want to do, but you can't necessarily do it today when they think about it and not want to do it. So I very much talk to uh, parents about having calendars, and you can have calendars showing the weeks of the summer. And if we want to go to the water park, yes, we'll be able to do that. In fact, we're going to do it on two weeks on Wednesday, and we put it on the calendar right here so the kid sees that it's gonna come up and they don't have to worry it's not gonna happen. Or, you know, if there's uh, shopping to do or whatever activity, if you get it up on that calendar, the kid doesn't have to worry about it's not gonna happen because they may not be keeping in their working memory that, um, oh yeah, mom said that we're gonna be able to do it. Uh, Sometimes I'm afraid we're not and now I'm all upset, No, you know, it's gonna be on the calendar. Um, another thing that's really important to do, is to prepare for unexpected changes, right? So we know that there are going to be unexpected changes. Things aren't going to work out well. I'm looking outside, bright, sunny day here. It's getting windy. We're going to have a thunderstorm this afternoon. I hope that the kids are going to be able to handle not going to school today. So preparing for the uh, unexpected is very good. And, in fact, um, setting up that secondary strategy to use if things have to change is good. So maybe in the morning you talk about it, we're going to go to the pool this afternoon, but if it is going to thunderstorm and we're not, well, this is what we're going to be able to do instead. Secondary strategy. So preparing for change, uh, oftentimes using visual cues are very, very helpful. And again, you can see why, because with the working memory issues and the planning and, to have, uh, for the kids to be able to work within that structure, visual cues are often very helpful. I mentioned calendars already. You could have kids draw pictures and, to, uh, and use different colors to show different schedules or to show which day it is. Is this a day with swim lessons or is this a day with doctor's appointments? And in fact, of course, the more you engage the child in this process, uh, the less they're going to be bothered by the change, the easier it's going to be able for them to uh, uh, work with the changes that happen. You can have that checklist with the day's activities. Uh, go through that in the morning, especially when it's going to be different. In fact, you can have the child uh, check off during the day as you get through each activity that was going through the day what what they've been doing, and it's to bring that child back to this is how our day is. This is what we're what we're using to uh, you know, keep our day moving and to keep everybody uh, happy. And then um, this, uh, I was reading from someone I thought it was very interesting. They said to disrupt the schedule in unexpected fun ways. <coughs> Excuse me. And their point was to uh, change the routine up every once in a while or help because you really want children to learn what to do or how it's gonna happen when something doesn't work the way it's been expected. So if you personally disrupt the schedule in an unexpected fun way, for example, uh, we have uh, we have time down for schoolwork uh, or, you know, working in a workbook. A lot of parents like to keep their kids up to the math or whatever. And you may be halfway into that hour or whatever, and you say, you know what, um, let's go out for some ice cream. You've all been working real hard. So you disrupt that schedule. And you make it a little bit more fun. Um, kids have um, um, yeah, a love-hate relationship uh, with routines and structure. Like I said, um, if they don't have the structure, things can get a little bit low, but the structure, they feel more calm. Uh, but at the same point, if kids with ADHD, if things are always the same, then it's not fresh anymore, it's not exciting, it's not interesting, and then it's harder to keep them to, to do it. So. Uh, going down here, you see um, um, you can use reminders to prepare for the change, give advance warnings. People use timers, calendars again. If you have different signs to put up on the bedroom drawer for how the schedule might be different or what might be different coming up. Or like we do at home a lot of times, we the mirror in the bathroom, because kids go to the bathroom often, uh, is we use dry erase markers and we write on the mirror what's going on that day what's gonna come up, what might be different. Also be very repetitive. The more you remind a kid in different kinds of ways about what to expect, the better. So if something is gonna come up that's gonna be out of the ordinary, bring it up multiple times at different times during the day, talk about it in different ways. To give unexpected reminders is kind of interesting too. Let's say you have a kid who's going to camp and uh, rather than coming home on the bus that day or you picking them up and coming home, You have a doctor's appointment. Well, maybe in their lunch, you put a note uh, about the doctor's appointment coming up. It's just another reminder during the day of uh, what we're going to be doing. The crucial transition time, also very important. Keep your child busy because having nothing to do can be very, very difficult for a a child with uh, ADD. Um, so you may have things, um, music for them to listen to, books, have things for them to draw with, or electronics, different kinds of games to play, to play. But you want to be prepared for when it's a wait time. You have to have them prepared for waiting, particularly like if you're in a waiting room or you go to the mall and you're waiting for the movies to start. So these kinds of transition times are, are very, very important to also uh, think through. Um, now, what about handling new tasks? Well, open-ended tasks uh, are actually pretty difficult for kids with ADD. Um, so, they don't you know an open-ended task like we're going to even going to the water park. Well, what do you have to do to get ready to go to the park? Um, there's no well necessary defined starting point. When's it going to happen? And, and where, where does it end? How does this task end? cleaning up the room to say, oh, we're going to take the morning and clean up the room is going to be very difficult. There's no often no right or wrong way to do a certain task. So when you just throw it out for the kid, um, they have a lot of difficulty figuring out how to do it, and uh, you get to, unfortunately, see the, uh, ex- uh, what happens. They uh, they're not always sure what's important. They have no mind about what to do, how to prioritize it, and so on. So the best things to do with the task is to reduce the complexity of the task. Um, You um, keep things organized. You break it down into smaller parts. This is what we do first. This is what we do second and so on. You make the task as simple as you can. Um, The next thing is that you show and don't tell. So if you have a task that you need the child to do, the best thing to do is to walk the child through the task step by step, each transition there, you make explicit, okay, now we're going to, you know, when we do this, we're going to go from here and we're going to go to there. And don't make the mistake of expecting the child to know or to get it, to know what they're supposed to do, how to finish it, how to get it done the way you want it to get done. Uh, You really need to be very explicit with it, uh, with children. Have a day. Well, sometimes the things that we expect to happen don't, really uh, work the way we want it to happen. Um, So you can have the best laid plans and things can go wrong. So let's talk about troubleshooting a little bit. So the first thing, identify the changes that cause the most upset. So if you realize that your child is having problems with certain changes, what are are those certain changes? Does it have to do with the time of the day, the kind of task it is, um, is it that you, you know, wanting to get something done, uh, like cleaning up, it's time to clean up our stuff. A lot of times that's a big issue for kids because the parent sees stuff all over the place and is always saying, hey, I need you to pick this up. That's not so good for the kids because whatever they're doing for them to transition off of that is very, very difficult. So I often say to parents, uh, pick up, pick a, one time in the morning, one time in the afternoon, ten time each day and say, 5 o'clock is pick-up time. You stop whatever we're doing. We're going to take five, ten 10 minutes. We're going to run through the house, pick everything up, and then you can go back to what you're doing. And don't do it again at 5.30 or 6 o'clock. Just pick a couple times during the day. Identify the changes that cause most upset and to adjust the changes if you can. So the first thing is it's always easier to adjust the environment around the child, to adjust things around them than to, to make the child do differently. So if you can make changes yourself to... The schedule or the routine that's causing problems, that's usually the best thing to do. The next thing would be to teach coping strategies uh, to uh, help regulate the emotions. So there are going to be times that there are going to be changes. So uh, what can the child do? Can they walk away? Can they ask for help? Can they uh, breathe to a count of four? Don't tell your child, just take deep breaths. Children really don't understand what that means. Coming to count to four slowly uh, is, is often the best way to go. Um, after teaching coping strategies, the next thing would be to make a script for the unexpected changes in practice. So, again, if you have a certain time of the day or a certain situation that causes problems, work it out with the child about how we can get through these changes. You can walk through it with the child. You can role play with the child, how we're going to handle that situation. And then you see handling emotions. Um, You want to help your child to learn when they're becoming upset, to let you know that, Mom, I'm, I'm I'm having trouble with this change, and that's okay. You know, let me know. But is it that their heart is being fast Are they feeling hot? A lot of kids, are they holding their fists tight? Can you help them to identify when they're experiencing that stress that comes along with the change? And then teach them coping strategies to help regulate those emotions. Um, uh, you know, Again, letting you know what's going on is going to be the most important thing. Uh, and uh, if they realize that they are uh, holding themselves tight, can they relax? Can you t- teach relaxation skills? Again, breathing is a good one too. Um, and again, with the handling emotion, help them to focus on the positive aspects of the change. So if something it does have to change. This is what's good about it. This is what we're going to be able to get out of it. In fact, uh, if you remember the PREMAC principle, which is that uh, if you have uh, an activity that's not so interesting followed by a very interesting activity, then the not-so-interesting activity can go better. So it could be very much that we're going to have to uh, spend some time at the doctor's office today. I didn't realize that. If we can uh, get through that, then we'll have time to get ice cream afterwards. And then you have, you're, you're connecting the good activity with activity that's tough, and uh, the kids are more likely to uh, get through it well. Mom, what is normal? It's just the setting on the dryer, honey. That's all it is. So all those things that we're talking about when it comes to change affects all children. I mean, it's not just kids who are ADD. Uh, the problem is for kids who are ADD, these things often can be uh, much more difficult um, but you know, even normal kids go through all these same uh, issues and have the same kinds of uh, concerns that happen. As a parent, what you get to do is you have to go with the flow too um, because if you're not handling it well, kids not going to be able to handle it well. It's going back to the idea of being thoughtful about uh, the schedule, the routine, what your child is going through and thinking through uh, how can I help my child? How can this work for my child uh, in the best possible way? So, these are some of the references that I have used in putting this talk together today. And I'm very interested in what kinds of questions that you all have uh, questions or uh, situations that have come up for you. And uh, let's see how you might be able to handle it. All right. All right. Thank you,
0: Dr. Katz.
1: That okay. was
0: some. Really great information. So our first question is a parent wondering, you were talking about how um, when things don't go as planned. So do you have any tools and techniques to help young children, uh, this question was specifically about a six-year-old, be more flexible when things don't go
1: as planned? Um, well, you know, and in, in what I try to do, it, it's always good to post-mortem things. So when a situation uh, has, say, gone badly, there was a change. It's to go, it, when when everything's calm over ice cream, maybe uh, to try and talk with the child about what their experience was, what what, um, what got them upset. So you say, you know, I noticed that when when uh, we weren't able to uh, go to the store like we wanted to today, it seemed like they'd gotten really upset. But what, what's up? What what happened? And let the child talk. You know that that they were. Um, whatever it is, um, and and that's the beginning. Then to talk about, well, you know, sometimes these things happen. What, what, and you can ask your child, well, what, what might have helped? What might have helped? Uh, what might have helped you when you know, I found out that we had to uh, do something different today? And and I would I would try and get the child to talk about that some. Or you can also, of course get some ideas, you know, do you think it would have helped if um, we had gotten something to eat beforehand, might, might that have helped, um, and, and to try and go through that with the child to, to see what their ideas are. So I so the, to me that's one thing because next time you're in that situation and something may need to change or is changing, you, you try and go back to the child and say, remember when this happened the last time and we were talking about different things that we might be able to try and do. So can we try and do some of those things and see how that works with the child? And you're really trying to get them to kind of remember what happened in the past, how it wasn't handled or how we thought about it might be even handled it, and then we went to the future. And then other thing we talked about today too is if you are unsure about how the routine might go uh, during the day because of different conflicts that may come up, as much as you can, try and talk to the child at the beginning of the day well, this is what the plan is, is, is to go to the pool, but I also know that I may have to take a phone call. And if I have to do that, um, this is what I'm thinking maybe you can been doing instead. I always like the idea of trying to talk to the child about it and then helping them to um, be involved in, in the planning of what, they, what might work for them
0: great thanks um we have a number of questions about i think a really common um, scenario of change and it's families that are moving so moving
1: um,
0: houses to a new city um so so one question in particular is you were talking about preparing and so is there a recommended timeline um so if you know you're moving in four months or six months or however many months it is a timeline um to start involving the child
1: yeah the, the big changes, and, and uh, I've lived uh, in a, a Navy town, and, in fact, this is a time when there's big changes going on. A lot of families are, are being uh, moved to the other coast. Um, and, honestly, I don't know that there's a specific, you know, this is a time when you should tell your child. What I get from parents is that the different kids deal with things differently. So part of it is uh, really thinking about your your child if they become particularly anxious about things, um, being four months out, I'm not sure is necessarily the best time because maybe they just carry that anxiety for four months. Other times you have actually an anxious kid who telling them that far ahead of time is actually good because it gives you a lot of time to address uh, issues that may be coming up. So part of that, I'm I'm afraid I don't don't have a... um, a, a clear thing. I, I certainly wouldn't want you to not tell kids what's going on and for them to hear from their brother or the family down the street that they're moving. Uh, it's certainly better to come from me than from somebody else. Um, but I think uh, as we talked about, if there's going to be a major change like that, um, it may be that you, um, once you bring it up that you often have discussions about it. And again, it's, it's, most of the time it's trying to draw from the child what their expectations are. What do they think it might look like? What do they think the school might be about? Um, What might it be like if, uh, you know, when you don't see your friends here? Because the more they can talk about it and share it with you, then the more you can respond to them on on the the level that works for them. Um, When I see kids who are moving, uh, I often uh, get with them online and we look up where they're going. You know what what it may be going to look like. Uh, what kinds of things they hope to do while they're there. Um, uh, usually, parents talking about the house and uh, the school, and and a lot of times for kids with ADD, um, um, if the child has a Section 504 plan or an IEP, I assume as a parent, hopefully that you'll try and talk with the school district coming up ahead of time, and uh, we usually talk about school with the kid that um, these are the things that we're going to do to uh, uh, make sure things are going as well as they have been going, or for next year, um, you, know, because, you know, you were maybe new in middle school and, and things were rough for you, this is what we've been talking to school about to make things better. Um, so um, you could keep, you know, in the idea of keeping things visual, you can put a big uh, piece of newsprint on a wall and have the children start putting in what are some of the things uh, that they've been thinking about. or as, as you think about things that the kids might be concerned about, you write it up there, and then you have a place that people can look at. For little kids, you might be drawing things. What will their room look like? Okay, we'll put their own room. So um, think about how you might want your room to be. Uh, we're going to be able to paint the room. What color do you think you might like? Let, let's, let's write that color up there, or uh, you know, if you can find that color in the markers, you know, put it up there so that you have something visual that you can always refer back to. Because for most of the kids, even though they may have talked about something, they'll probably come back to it at some point as if they never talked about it before. So you actually walk over to the uh, newsprint and say, oh, yes, you remember we talked about this? Now we're thinking something different about that. What, what are you thinking now? So that's my thought, Robin.
0: Thank you. That's great. And we have another situation that I think is another common change, and it's children changing schools whether it is for elementary to middle school, middle to high school, or just uh, moving schools for, you know, whatever the reason may be. And a lot of parents are wondering, how do you help your child with the anxiety that comes with changing schools?
1: So changing schools. To to me, the first thing um, is um, having an opportunity to get to the new school sometime over the summer. Now, you can't always meet the teacher because they often don't come in until, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before school starts. But if it's possible to get to the new school, I would say that would be the thing to do and to call ahead, I would say. and um, uh, Say you like to bring your child by. They're, they're a little anxious about uh, getting around the school. I remember when my older daughter started high school, she came back the first day and said she went down the wrong hall. And all she could see were knees, people's knees, because everybody was so much taller than her. Um, but I, I think if you can get the child to the school, have somebody walk walk the child around, meet somebody in the office, you know, uh, different people of the library, so the child can see what it looks like. I think if the child is is a little bit older, particularly, again, if they have an IEP or a Section 504, I think you can pretty much tell them that that many of the things that you all have figured out are not going to change, that they're still going to have the extra time. The teachers are going to still work with them when it comes to um, having extra time or helping them with the structure. I think it's fair to say to kids, look, you know, we are going to be meeting new people uh, and and some things uh, may be rough at first. But... um, um, you know I 'll check with you, and you let me know if something is not working the way it should be, or if there are in fact particular concerns that the child has or that you have about how something is going to work. you can say to the child that we're, um, these are things that I 'll keep an eye on. Um, I often say to parents that if the child, for example, is going to be in the uh, same school but a new grade, um, I usually talk to parents about meeting with teachers about two weeks into school. And the reason it would be two weeks into school is uh, I would want the new teacher to at least know who your child is so that if they, you say their name, the teacher has a sense of who your child is, and then you can talk about what what your child's needs are and what to have worked well for your child in the past. Um, if you are really new to the school and if the child has uh, an extensive IEP for, uh, in fact, it, it may be that meeting with the teachers before school starts to review the IEP accommodations, what your child needs are, can be helpful, too. And, again, I would I would let the um, children know you know, that you have met with the teachers and, and this is uh, how we have things that are going to work. Certainly, if if you know other children who are going to be going to that new school or if you can get in contact with uh, parents, uh, maybe through a local Chad uh, support group and they have kids who are going to that school and you can get together with those kids, those parents. That would always be a good thing. The hardest thing for a child is not having somebody to talk to and not having uh, a friend to stand next to. Um, so those are things I would say right off the top.
0: Great. Those are some really great suggestions. Um, we have a couple questions specifically about the transition from elementary to middle school, knowing that that's okay. a pretty big transition and it requires more organization and time management. Um, maybe different socialization right. skills. Can you provide a couple of tips um, specifically for that that time change, the entering middle school?
1: Well, when you when you talk about the transition between elementary and, and middle, middle, um, I guess part of it for me in is, and I'm, I'm seeing you know families and parents, and I'm not living with a child, so I know that's a little bit you know it's a little bit different, but. I I don't want to throw it all on the child that they're the ones who're supposed to figure out what to do. I really don't think that's fair. I think if the child has ADHD, this is what they have difficulty with, all those executive cognitive functions. So would rather go with the child and say, Well look, you know, where do you think you're where where do you think it's going to be difficult for you? This is kind of what I've heard about the school. These are some things that people say uh, happen in middle school. What, what do you think might be uh, tough for you? Okay. Well, and if that becomes tough, you know, I mean, you can certainly talk about what kinds of things you all could set up to help with organization. How, to, how can you do the notebooks? Almost invariably, whatever you all might figure out about having separate notebooks, one for each different class, that's going to change in three weeks when they find out having all of the uh, notes in one notebook is a way to go because I, I, you just don't know. Um, so I think the thing with the kids is to say, well, let's figure out what, and, and we can walk into it this way and hope that, you know, that we've got it down. But if it's not working, um, there's not a problem at all talking to the teachers and figuring out how to, get it stu- how to get it to work better for you and how they can work it better for you. And and I think it's important to say to the child, none of that happens overnight, right? It may take a month or two months, three months, to really figure out what's the best way to handle it. Uh, But that's doable, and they're not going to get – you're not going to get them into trouble if they're having trouble uh, with that. Um, And um, the other thing I would also say to kids is, like, if they're in elementary school now – I know it's a summer – if they're in elementary school, next year they're going to be in middle school, they can get all anxious – I usually tell kids, you know, um, they're going to learn a lot between now and then, but they are going to be older. And, um, and it's interesting to me that um, a lot of kids make that shift from uh, elementary school to middle school, and that should do pretty well. Um, in fact, I, I, uh, my younger daughter, who's ADD, going into high school, I couldn't imagine what the mornings were going to be like, because in middle school, my trying to get her out of bed you know, on time, it was not fun. And the first day of high school, her alarm went off. She got up, and I didn't say a word. She, she, it's like something switched in her, but she needed, she needed to be on time. So um, I also want to say, you know, kids can uh, pull some of those things together, too. But I think you reassure the kids that you, you know some problems are going to come up. It's just the way it is. Just like we were saying, you know, it, it, every kid is going to go through this. They're not the only one. But we know what we can do if there is an issue and that as the parent, you're going to make sure that you get in there and and help get things straight if things aren't running well.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Well, let's see if we can't get through a few more questions before we come to the end of our time today. So I have um, just a completely different topic for our really young children, two to three-year-olds who are at a completely different developmental stage. Uh Um, You might not be able to reason with them or have necessarily a logical um, conversation. So what are some suggestions with helping those young children with changes?
1: Well, what what comes to mind for me is, um, yes, the attention span is really short, right? So, um, and I think with kids, it's keeping them busy. Um, You know, what satisfies your kid to get through a change? It may, be, um, it may be you know if the child is very young, it may be skittles, you know, um, where they uh, alert skittles and come to you because you've got a skittle you're holding out for them so that, that you can keep them close to you if you're moving around. Um, I understand what you, you're saying that you, you know, it's not a talking kind of thing. I guess part of what I want to say then is that's maybe even why structural routine is that much more important maybe for younger kids because that's what they end up relying on. I, I don't have younger kids now, but I do have a dog. And and if we get out of the structure that we usually do, then she's off. You know, we take walks at certain times, we go a certain direction. If we end up not doing that, she's like a little bit lost. So I, I think that probably speaks to how much more important the structure and routine is to kids so that you have fewer changes happening Uh, and if you can anticipate a certain change coming up that that you maybe work towards it in some way. Um, And like that may be the kind of thing uh, like practicing. So maybe there's a new daycare, different daycare. So maybe you uh, take the child over there. Maybe you go through uh, an hour in the morning with them there before it becomes a full day thing. So, it may be that you introduce them to changes if you can little by little so they kind of flow into it a little bit more. Um, and if if it's something like new daycare or something like that, uh, even though that may be a big change, you may still want to keep the rest of the structure and routine the rest of the day the same. So you don't want to maybe change too many things at one time. Let's, let's get through the change in daycare before we start changing the nighttime schedule or the... Uh, dinner schedule. Um, so those are, those would be my thoughts off the top on that.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Now, what about for um, many families with multiple children, siblings, one maybe has ADHD, one doesn't have ADHD, and um, we find that sometimes the child without ADHD maybe doesn't understand why the other child um, needs more preparation for change and, and just sort of needs that additional time. Um, do you have suggestions for parents yeah. on how to help the child who's, who's not really understanding why, you know, their sibling might need sort of those different things?
1: Well, from thought of art, it, you know, one, one premise in, in all this stuff with ADHD, working with a kid who is ADHD, is that, you um, what you're doing for a child with ADHD is, is good stuff to do with kids who aren't ADHD. So everything we're talking about, again, is an apply to kids who are not ADHD. With kids who are ADHD, you're putting more thought into it. You may be putting in more time. And uh, so I'm trying to think of a situation. Maybe the non-ADHD kid is losing their patience because you're spending time <laughs> helping the ADHD kid get through a certain routine. Ah, so maybe we have to get that kid who's not ADHD Something to do during those times, uh, or it may be that you say, you know, one of the things you say is that life is uh, not always fair. You know, if if you need new shoes, that doesn't mean I buy new shoes for everybody. Everybody gets what they need when they need it. So uh, you could say to the non-ADHD kid, uh, you know, I know that uh, it's hard for you to wait, but, if, if, uh, but this is something that's uh, important, and if you can. Uh, if we can figure out how what's going to help you to wait and you can do that, uh, then I'll let you have this particular privilege later because I know that's tough for you. If if it's a child who's older than the ADHD, or even if it's a child who's younger than the ADHD child, so the younger child is, is the one who's not ADHD and they're trying to manage uh, with a uh, sibling who has ADHD. Um, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'll see if I have this in the right way. But um, people get privileges and things when they're able to handle it. So if sometimes a kid with ADHD at the age of 16 yeah, and they may not quite be ready to drive, um, or may not be uh, ready to go to sleep uh, at a later time. Whereas another kid um, is able to uh, get their license at the right time or get certain privileges at the right time, at, at, at the right time for them. So you, you kind of have to differentiate that children. Each person needs different things at different times. Uh, Go back to the general heading that uh, as mom or dad, we do what we need for each of you, and it's going to be different sometimes. And if we're having a a problem uh, doing that uh, routine or you're ready to get going to the pool and the other one's having a hard time with it, then maybe you and I can come up with something you can do in the meantime. Or maybe you're right. Maybe I need to start working with Johnny 20 minutes before I thought I did so that we're already at the right time, and I'm willing to do that. So I would say include that child also awesome in the problem-solving about what might help it to work more smoothly. I hope, I hope that's helpful.
0: Great. I think it definitely is help, helpful. So we're coming to our last question, and um, we have a question that actually came in a little bit earlier, but they were wondering: Is there an age or an age range where you might expect a child to not require as much parental intervention as far as change goes?
1: That's a, that's honestly that's that's a toughie, and there's so many factors. I mean, we're talking about ADHD, and you know, we can say somebody has ADHD, but it's so different for every particular person. You know, it, it, um, maybe the working memory is is. Um, not as good as their planning, or or maybe the emotional control for some kids is uh, uh it's much tougher than it may be for another kid. So it's hard to say it that way. I know in my practice it, it it's um I get a lot of calls about college students who the parents are finding that they're having to do a lot more to uh, to help them, or uh, older kids who come back home to live or don't leave the house and are having trouble getting themselves a job, uh, getting into a routine that works for them. Um, it, it's When you think about ADHD, you should think about it as a chronic disorder because it is, right? Uh, if somebody gets older, you know, hopefully they get a job that they enjoy. Uh, I tell kids all the time, you may not be good at, with math, but if, if there's a certain job that you enjoy doing but there's some math to it, actually, once you do it a few hundred times, could, you'll be okay with it. You, you, you'll be able to do what you need to be able to do. Um, but I think you have to think about ADHD as a chronic disorder and to think ahead about, um, yes, at different times of a uh, kid's life or even a young adult or older adult, uh, something's going to happen that the ADHD is going to impact. And what you, of course, try to do as a parent is to help the person, your child, understand their own ADHD? What are their strengths? Where are their weaknesses? And when they find themselves in a situation that's not working for them, change ain't working for them, what are some things that they know to do when those kinds of things come up? And secondly, who are their resources? Is it okay to call mom or dad and say, you know, I'm always late for work, I'm not sure what to do? Um, Or uh, there's gonna be a big um, change, whatever, I need some help, it's okay to ask for help. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of people with ADHD seem to think that the uh, neurotypical person handles all this stuff without a problem, but it's not true. You know, uh, the people who do well are often ones who know when they need help. So I think you try and instill in your child what um, to learn about themselves, strengths and weaknesses, and things they can do when things are not working well. And lastly, I'll say that part of that conversation is with your child is that, you know, sometimes I notice this or that about you. And the child says, okay. You say, you know, if I notice that you seem to be getting stressed out a lot, is that okay if I say something to you about it? And most kids, you know, even, you know, adult kids are going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, if you notice me doing that, for sure. And I, I, would, I would take that and say, okay. And, and so you have some permission to give the kid feedback for something that you may have noticed or maybe concerned about coming up. I hope that was helpful too.
0: Great, thank you. I think it definitely was helpful. And I uh, just want to thank you, Dr. Katz, for your insights and suggestions today. And of course, to thank all of our participants for joining us. This concludes our webcast.